You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Okay, let's talk about the Flopcast. Where every week we drink a lot of coffee and we talk about comic books, movies, conventions, music, Saturday morning cartoons. Oh, don't forget the coffee. Lots of weird, obscure pop culture stuff from the 70s and 80s. And chickens. Yeah, chickens. This will be the stupidest half hour of your week. We guarantee it. You can find us on the ESO Network. And... Flopcast.net Hello and welcome again to the Monster Sci-Fi Show Podcast. I am your host, the Monster, back to give you another week of sci-fi news. So, as promised from the last podcast, which was a little bit quicker, I do have a lot more to talk about. And considering we have already lost an hour, because it's daylight savings time, I'm still a bit groggy because you lost an hour. The hell? Although Florida is trying to get out of doing daylight savings time. I don't know how the hell that's going to work when the rest of the nation keeps doing this. But whatever. We go forward. So, the big three topics that I will be talking about is going to be we have news about John Williams scoring his last Star Wars movie. We also have uh, a couple of reactions to two trailers. One is Ralph Wrecks the Internet as well as Netflix's series for Lost in Space. And lastly, I'm going to be talking about Jessica Jones Season 2. Originally, I was going to start off with just the first episode, which I saw last Thursday. I was planning to record this a lot sooner, but I wind up watching six episodes, including one earlier today, because uh, my sinuses were really bad. So I'm like, Fine, I, I'm just going to stay up since I can't sleep. My wife was snoring. I'm going to make some coffee. It's going to help open up my, my uh, sinuses and fine, whatever. We'll go forward. So as the coffee is brewing, one nostril opens up like, you know, it was like Moses parting the Red Sea. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> After all that, now I can breathe out of one nostril. So, I, I started to drink the coffee since it was already in the process. I had some toast, I had some juice, and I watched episode 6 of Jessica Jones. So, by the time that happened and finished, it was 7 o'clock, and then, which was really 6 o'clock. So, I slept for an hour, and then got up again to go to work. So, here I am. But in any case, six episodes I'm going to be talking about of Jessica Jones, not just one. That's six times more. All right. But putting that all aside, because I'm going to be yammering about things that happened uh, last weekend. My family and I went out to a Scottish festival. And it's something that my wife has been wanting to do for the longest time. 
Uh, aside from the Renaissance festival that we always go to, this is our first time going to a Scottish festival. So I really didn't know what to expect. Other than it was far to get to. And by the time we got there, it was well into the afternoon. And of course, we're starving. So unfortunately, the lines to all the food vendors were extra long, so that wasted another hour. But my wife got, uh, what is that thing called? <laughs> she got a Scottish egg. So if you don't know what a Scottish egg is, basically it's a sausage that is wrapped around a hard-boiled egg and it's deep-fried. I've never had it. She's never had it. I had a bite of it. It was so damn good. Fantastic. I had the fish and chips. Thank God the haggis was sold out before I got there. <laughs> and if you don't know what haggis is, pray that you don't look it up. Uh, but basically, it's uh, from, my, from what I remember correctly, it's that it's the stomach of the sheep that is filled with different meats. And basically, it's eat it that way. So it's yummy, I guess, to some. <laughs> Not to me. <laughs> Not eating the least bit. So, the only thing that I know about a Scottish festival... Uh, a friend of my wife's, a long time ago, wanted to uh, be inducted into the Clan MacLeod from the Highlander. He wanted to have an honorary induction. As we're walking and watching the certain events, there are lots of little tents and there's tons of different clans. You know, so just walking by, lo and behold, there is a clan montgomery now of course you know me as the monster but not not my official name so montgomery is my first name not my last name like it's intended to be so i was just like i have to go to this tent and normally i'm not the kind of person that will like engage with people especially at festivals i'm just kind of awkward and if you know me you know i'm just as awkward when i go into conventions i'm really awkward when it comes to looking at you know people that i've watched on tv that are right there in front of you and i can't say anything because i feel like a dork and but putting that aside but this one i felt like i have to go so i i told them oh you know my name's montgomery and it's like i know it doesn't count but no 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 it counts. So at least 50% I'm part of this clan. So I felt kind of really awkward at times, but I'm like, you know, I am really interested in my heritage being Hispanic. And who knows, maybe there is some Scottish in me. I'll eventually do some DNA testing. But I felt really happy that I got to talk to these two ladies. They were there and talking about uh, their experiences doing the uh, 23andMe and, and Accessory.com. So I was really pleased that I got to talk to them because, again, I never get to do that. At least I felt kind of connected to the Montgomery clan. And the only reason why I bring this up because every time we go 
to some kind of festival or to a park like, you know, Universal or Disney or wherever, you know how you get those little stupid uh, souvenir chains uh, that has like a keychain that has your name on it or a mug or a t-shirt? Well, they never would have Montgomery, not even Monty. It it's just doesn't happen. They did have a Montgomery lapel pin. The lapel pin basically is a very long sword, and there is a, I guess, a crest right in the middle of a lady dressed in some kind of outfit. I can't distinguish what it is, but there is writing that says guard or garde bien, which translates into watch well. So I guess I'm part of the first watch then, or the night's watch. Game of Thrones reference. But in any case, I felt compelled to buy this pen, and eventually I will wear it proudly to at least be a part of this clan, even if it's just 50%. (laughs) So, the next day, we finally go to our Renaissance Festival that we always go to up in Deerfield Beach, which is really a much longer drive, but it's well worth it. I didn't really get dressed up and I just grabbed a t-shirt that I had from the other night before but because it was breezy I had kind of my like an, a sweater like a Deadpool sweater uh, so it got hot during the day and I took it off and basically the shirt was may the forks be with you so it was a picture of two forks underneath the caption and I didn't really think much of it because we're in the Renaissance Festival but I got to feel like the bell of the ball because I got so many compliments on that shirt. And normally, I'm, I'm not crazy about the shirt. I wear it because it's funny. But it was like, oh my god, that shirt is like the best thing that I've seen today. I'm like, really? <laughs> the shirt that I really liked is the one that my wife got me for Father's Day a couple of years ago. So basically, it's the Star Wars font, but says, I am your father. And I wore that when we went to Disney on Star Wars Weekend, the, the last time they were doing the Star Wars Weekends ever. And that made me feel really proud, because everyone loved that shirt. But again, May the Forks Be With You was not something I was expecting people to like a lot. But again, I felt really kind of... Oh, it's kind of nice to kind of be recognized or acknowledged, considering, again, the shyness aspect of me. So aside from being kind of socially awkward that weekend, I felt really kind of good about myself that I was actually kind of engaged, sort of, in a weird way. Later that night, of course, when we have the Oscars that came out, did I watch it? No. I was really damn tired because, again, my daughter was uh, hospitalized for a little bit briefly on a Thursday night, and I had to recover Friday and so forth, so it was a very long weekend, so I figured I'd watch it the next day, which I did. So after the kids got to school, my wife went to work, I was off, so I'm going to put on on Hulu and rewatch or watch the, the Oscars for the first time. And I think within the first five minutes, I passed out. And then maybe two hours later, I have an hour and a half still to go. I'm like, wow, this is really a long-ass show. 
So at least I got to see the last couple of big awards. I really didn't think much of the awards. Nothing was that spectacular. I am happy, of course. I am happy, of course, after the news I found out that Jordan Peele won Best Screenplay for Get Out. And, of course, Shape of Water won for Best Director, Best Picture. And, uh... I, I really couldn't have been bothered. It, it wasn't something that I wasn't really overly excited about. But I have to watch it every year just because something like last year where you had the best picture category was a big snafu. Moonlight won, not La La Land. That's something that like you would never have predicted. You would never have seen that coming unless you've watched it. But here... Everything was okay. Everything, for the most part, was fine. But I wasn't really enthusiastic like I've been in past years. And I think there's great improvements that you still need to do. But one of them is reduce the number of hours. That is just one award show that goes on way too long putting all that crap aside the big news that came out again we're not even touching the sci-fi new stuff so not yet so the big news is the avengers infinity war the movie has been bumped up by one week so we're looking at april 27th instead of may 4th so i am ecstatic that this is now happening a week sooner and then we get entertainment weekly producing I think 15 covers with different Avengers on the cover and Thanos in the middle. So if you buy all of them, which I'm not, (laughs) put it all together, they have like the Avengers logo in the background and everyone is in this cool blue star field. It looks great. Um, The big thing to take from there is that Tony Stark, Iron Man, has kind of a new weird wing-ish stuff on his back on a suit and I'm like "Mm." I'm curious how that's going to play out but other than that I just think that uh had this come out in my collector phase in my life I would have bought all 15 covers and of course boxed it up with a cardboard and plastic sleeve and never see daylight ever again but because I have family and I want to eat meat once in a while. I'm not going to spend money on stuff that I'm not going to read. And besides, it's just a cover. Not like it's going to be 15 different things on the inside. So it's actually same issue. That's how to get you. I'm not playing that game anymore. Alright, so aside from the Avengers, the other big news that came out. And this was kind of rumored early but it was later confirmed Kristen Wiig from SNL Bridesmaids and unfortunately the Ghostbusters which was horrible but I love Kristen Wiig will be in the next Wonder Woman movie which is filming in May it will be coming out in 2019 but she is confirmed to play the villainous Cheetah First reaction, look, I love Kristen Wiig tremendously. 
great comedic actress, very funny, very talented. Cheetah, on the other hand, I don't see her being played in the exact same way. But remember the days when, before the internet, Michael Keaton was announced to be playing Batman, a comedic actor at that time, playing a superhero. So I'm thinking the exact same lines. Michael Keaton killed it as Batman. And I'm hoping for the exact same thing that Kristen Wiig will kill it as Cheetah. Now, I'm not familiar with the character other than from the days of the Super Friends on TV, how you have the Legion of Doom and the Justice League basically always at odds, and you had different pairings. You had Batman and Robin versus the Joker, you had Superman versus Lex Luthor, Aquaman, Black Manta, Wonder Woman, and Cheetah. So everyone had their arch nemesis. And then as far as in the comics, really didn't read too much in the comics about Cheetah. Some in the animated series was there, but she's a very interesting character, but they never play fully into her. The first Wonder Woman animated movie had Cheetah at the very end. That was it. Nothing more than her, like Wonder Woman going into battle. And then the doomed uh, Justice League movie that one also had cheetah in it uh claudia black from farscape was the voice i believe of cheetah and she was good but again you saw her for a limited time so i'm hoping that kristen wig will do something dynamic patty jenkins will make that character memorable and of course gal Gadot. although now i'm hearing gal gadot will bring it as always all right so let's get to the big three john williams i've talked about john williams many times he has been a hero of mine since the age of 10. i'm now 50 so you do the math so for 40 years star wars came out that was my first album not record I mean, it is a record, not a CD, uh, not a cassette. It was my first true album. So I felt like I, that was coming into my own taste, that I felt adult enough to buy an album. And I loved the music, and I listened to it tremendously, because that was a way for me to relive those moments watching Star Wars. And this is before... It was named A New Hope, Episode 4. But now we're coming to 40 plus years, kind of the end of the line. Now, he is still doing Indiana Jones 5 scoring, but this will be the very last Star Wars that he will be doing this score. Now, up to this point, everything had been done by him. Kevin Kleiner, I believe, is the one that took over for the animated series for the Clone Wars. So I saw that animated movie in the theaters on my birthday, and I thought it wasn't a bad score. It, it still had a familiar themes that, that John did, but for the most part, it was kind of like, okay, it can still live on without John Williams' influence. 
or at least his his touch, personal touch. But we get, of course, Force Awakens. We just recently watched The Last Jedi. And unfortunately, it has not been one of the better soundtracks. And I really hate to say that because I love pretty much everything that he has done. But honestly, the prequels, episodes 1, 2, and 3, are vastly superior to what he has done for this new trilogy. So I think, having read what's going on between J.J. and then Ryan, and then back to J.J. again, that there is no consistency. So I think that's the problem, to kind of emulate what is familiar in a new fashion. Sure, we do get Ray, we do get Kylo's theme, but it doesn't really play by itself. It, it, it does not make me feel like I remember that scene where Phasma and Finn fight off or anything like that. It doesn't do that. It's just, it's there. And every time it tries to go back to earlier themes, like in Last Jedi, it goes right back to like the, the trench scene in the Death Star. I'm like, okay, but it does not feel like it should be there. I understand to kind of play homage to make us feel connected, but it doesn't feel like it's the same. So in some respects, I'm happy this will be the last one. Sad that it will be, again, the last one. But, you know, he's been around for quite some time, and Guy needs a break. You know, he's still, he's still doing other things, too. And I think, if I remember correctly, he is doing the solo movie, which is going to be out uh, next two months. Yeah, so... It's not as if he's gone forever. And God knows that Indiana Jones movie is just lurking out there. Oh, jeez. But the other thing is that on this news that just came out, John Favreau is going to be producing, or at least writing, I think. I'm not sure which is what he's doing, but we are getting a live-action TV series on Star Wars. So as to the content, I don't know. Remember, George Lucas had he had script ideas, or at least ideas, for 50 episodes for live action before he sold it all to Disney. So who knows if that will be tackling that. Hopefully this will not be the Star Wars Detours series that uh, was never seen the light of, basically the animated series. That was supposed to be the lighter side of Star Wars. And, uh, yeah, thank God it didn't go through. Because I saw, I think, a couple of clips and it was really god awful. Like, not even funny, like, oh, I can, like, watch this with my kids. This is just painful. Because it just didn't. Ugh. It's one thing to have your favorite characters be in a situation that's not within Star Wars. Or make fun of, like, mash it up with other things. Like, Jar Jar meeting Anakin 
as Darth Vader, and then freaking out when he takes off Vader's helmet, and then George and Vader is just like had enough of him, and he spaces him. <laughs> And Jar Jar floats out of space and dies, but comes back with a force. It's like, you and me can be friends together forever! Yay! Eddie! So that is probably one of my favorite moments from Robot Chicken, in which there is some redemption, I guess, to enjoy Jar Jar being such an, an, an idiotic character. But having him also be this annoying, lovable character at the exact same time was just pure joy. So I'm very happy about that. But we're getting off topic. <laughs> Alright, so let's talk about Ralph Wrecks the Internet. The trailer itself... Okay, there are two things that I want to bring up that I had an issue with. One... The joke at the very end in which he is now in the internet world and he's playing, I guess, in a portable game in which there's a table and there's a bunny and I think a cat. The bunny gets the pancakes and the cat gets the milkshake. And Ralph is playing with, you know, making sure the bunny gets the pancakes and the kitten gets the milkshake. But he kept feeding the kitten, uh, kept feeding the bunny all the pancakes until we got like the bunny being almost huge i laughed out loud when the bunny who's already ginormous in like opens up his mouth and just shows that pancake very slowly into his mouth and then next thing you know boom the reaction is the girl playing the game freaks out i laughed out loud up to that point it was like oh, it's cute but that moment hysterically funny my only wish, and I pray to God, don't overplay this, is that, like in Zootopia, in which you see Flash in the DMV about how slow he is, and that three, um, what do you call it, three hump camel? I'm not going to do the joke, but you get the idea. So when he laughs, it's really, really funny. But because it was played over and over and over again, by the time I got to see the damn movie, that was supposed to be, to me, the biggest highlight of that movie. And unfortunately, it was like, okay, I've seen this already. So I'm hoping that joke is not like the big joke itself. I'm sure there will be tons of other jokes, but I don't want that scene that I saw with the bunny get played out. So I will do my best not to watch that trailer again. So, prior to that, the question I had, and has to do with how Ralph gets to the internet. So, remember from Wreck-It Ralph, he is connected to a network with other games. But I guess the owner decides to then put in internet to, I guess, play computer games. But the question is, is that it seemed as if, one... That the owner is really old, meaning now he's getting internet, because it just seemed to me as if, oh, what is this thing called internet, which doesn't make sense to go back to the early days of the internet, because if you really know your history, 
the internet back then was not very fast. So I don't want to see, you know, the days of... You got mail. When you finally get connected to the internet, like you've had the AOL disk, or if you had a 300-baud modem, and you connected to CompuServe, I mean, it's slow. So, was it like the introduction of the internet, or is it now, and then the owner who looks old, now decides to get the internet for the first time? I'm hoping it's the latter, because if they do the old stuff, that's not going to work, because none of those games were of that period. So, I'm thinking it has to be up to date. So, but for the most part, I'm laughing, enjoying myself, but again, the two criticisms about the internet thing and then the very funny punchline at the end, uh, the funny gag at the end. So I'm hoping again, I'm sure it will be good. I'm not doubting it, but, you know, sequels sometimes fail to really capture the magic. So, uh, but, you know, I love John C. Riley's humor as, as Ralph. And, of course, predominantly paid by Sarah Silverman, who I do have an enormous crush on. And, yes, who I don't have a crush on. Well, she's part of that list. So. Alright, so let's move on to Lost in Space. I made a comment, or I posted this in my Facebook page, about this new series and the new trailer. And I'm kind of excited for this. You know, of course... Rob, if you're listening, I know you're disappointed <laughs> that I liked the start, the Lost in Space movie that came out in the late 90s, but honestly to me, and I posted a little snippet of the Lost in Space carrot man talking to Dr. Smith, I, I just could not wrap my brain around that. It, it, it never worked for me on any level. That I found that to be enjoyable. So I appreciated when the Lost in Space movie came out. That it was more up to date. And I was kind of along for the ride. And I was I was generally happy with the movie. I was really shocked that we did not get a sequel. It should have happened shortly thereafter. Well, it kind of sort of didn't. There was something that um, CBS decided to go with is another pilot. This was directed by John Woo. If you know John Woo, very famous martial art director, uh, but also done lots of American movies like Face Off, which I love, Mission Impossible 2. Mm. But in any case, he was doing this and as well as being the executive producer. So it was filmed, the pilot, never picked up as a series. You can find it on YouTube. But I'm like, it looks fine. I know I could be okay with this as a TV series. And then years went by and nothing. So a couple of years ago, there was rumination about Netflix picking up the series. And we are going to get it. So coming out in April 13th. So April 13th is when we're going to officially get this series. So there is going to be... A change in a major character, Dr. Smith, not played by Gary Oldman as the man, 
or Jonathan Harris playing the original Dr. Smith, but we're getting Parker Posey playing Dr. Smith. And we are getting an updated version of Robbie the Robot, which looks fantastic. So the trailer looks phenomenal. And because we're doing this as a TV series, I'm really eager to see how this works out for Netflix and for sci-fi fans in general. Are they going to keep the campiness of the original series? Or are they going to treat this more like the original movie that they did? That's a little bit more up-to-date. It had a lot more sci-fi elements. Again, I enjoy the hell out of Lost in Space. And I love the soundtrack. And again, it's one of my favorites that I would ever go to in a heartbeat. I can watch Lost in Space without a worry. Again, why? Well, you had Mimi Rogers in there. My God. And Heather Graham. But also, again, you had Gary Oldman. You had William Hurt. And even Matt LeBlanc, which I actually hated. And I thought he was great. I love Matt LeBlanc. You know, and his, like, and the monkey presses the button. I love that. There was just, oh my god, it's a lot of fun just to watch that movie. So, if that movie, now the TV series, I should say, again, captures that kind of spirit, you got my time. I will stream it and binge it that first day, at least. So, so again... Can't wait for that to happen. But again, let me know your thoughts about that because it's. Alright, so let's get started on Jessica Jones Season 2. So, again, I'm going to review the first six episodes. And before we get started, Season 1, if you've not seen it, had David Tennant as Kilgrave, who was the, the nemesis to Jessica Jones. And of course, from this point on, it's spoilers. So, if you have not seen Season 1, why you're listening to me when I'm talking about season two. Uh, so stop the podcast and come back to me later. Enough said. All right, so David Tennant was Kilgrave, fantastic throughout the series. The only thing that kind of was kind of disappointing was that he was killed at the very end. And okay, so we go forward. There were some. Um, Photos of David Tennant on set as Kilgrave again. So I'm kind of... Alright, let's see how this is going to come out in the wash. Because Jessica Jones really just snapped his neck. And he's dead as a doornail. But the theory that I had in my mind was that he wasn't really dead. But more of he allowed Jessica to think he was killed by her. By her hand. Because he allowed himself to be approached that close. So my thinking, maybe that's the cause. I don't know. The other thing, uh, Melissa Rosenberg uh, wanted to look at the second season. And this goes back to the Oscars. What Frances McDormand said about inclusion writer. So Melissa, and I'm sure it wasn't the term... Um, in mine, but basically this is what she was doing, is that she wanted to have an increase in directors that were female. And Marvel's on board, but then it went the whole season. All 13 episodes were directed by women. And the writing, for the most part, I think maybe except for three or four episodes, were written also primarily by women 
So, the fact that this series came out on a Thursday, which is kind of weird that they would launch a series on a Thursday instead of the normal Friday, is because that was the day of International Women's Day. So, you have a female-centric character, you have a support cast that works around Jessica, you have showrunner as a woman, directors that are a female, and writers who are also women. I get to that first episode, and because we don't have no Kilgrave, it just seems it's a very slow burn. And honestly, there are moments I'm like, okay, that's kind of cool and interesting. But it's not as if when we start off with the first episode, which is AKA starting at the beginning, so to speak, uh, Jessica is happy that her life can now go forward <laughs> because Kilgrave is over. Her run with the Fenders was, was eh, okay, is now over. And now she can live a life of bliss and solitude. And that's really not the case. She is following, uh, in the very beginning, a pizza delivery guy who is making an extra special delivery. <laughs> and the client was, I guess, the girlfriend or the wife of the pizza guy. So she gives the bad news to her. And it's like, well, I want him killed and I want to hire you to kill him. And basically, Jessica doesn't want to do this. This is not who she wants to be. So, her life is still in this turmoil where she's still drinking. And life really hasn't gotten to the point where she seemed, she doesn't seem as if she's moved on. Now, the one thing that I've been enjoying a great deal is Malcolm. If you remember Malcolm from the first season, he was her next door neighbor who was a drug addict and in a couple episodes was under the guise or under the control of Kilgrave and basically that became part of the storyline and he, he kind of cleaned up his act towards the end of season one so he's been kind of like not necessarily a hundred percent rehab that he's all clean but he is now clean he is sober and he is really pushing Jessica to continue with the alias uh, investigations because that's the heart and soul of why he gets up in the morning is that he needs to have something to do as he keeps saying he doesn't do well with not doing anything so one of the bright things is that Malcolm has been brought to the forefront and is really part of the cast and I'm really happy for the actor and I think he's fantastic uh, and a, a great add to the cast so that's one of the bright spots that I will say right off the bat but the other thing is that we see um, I guess an introduction of one of the many clients that uh, alias investigations encounters and there's a guy referred to as Wizard. Now Wizard is an old comic book I think Marvel guy that like any speedster is able to run really fast but his 
explanation is that it just seems a bit wacky that no, it's more fear-based that he can run really fast when he's scared, which is kind of, no, that's not how it should work. Kind of like uh, in Mystery Men, the, I forgot the character's name, but part of Keenan and Keel, um, Keel was an invisible guy. But his only powers of invisibility only worked when everyone turned their backs and weren't looking at him. So I was like, that's not how it works. But in any case, that's the first thing that came to my mind. But it turns out that Wizard was right because he gets a little more paranoid and he wants help from Jessica. So he's holding a gun and he's, he's panicking, but he's actually running really fast. So Jessica gives chase, he wants up outside, and somehow there's a structure, like um, when apartments or buildings are being constructed, there's like a gangwing plank above, but it collapses on him and kills Wizard. So unfortunately, this leads down the rabbit hole of IGH, which is the, I guess, facility in which Jessica is trying to remember her time from the accident to when she was released because somehow there's a connection between her from the accident to her getting powers after that and wizards seem to be along that exact same way again the the slowness of this is that because this is a detective show I guess it's slow it's not necessarily going methodically in a certain order but it's in no rush to give you like what Kilgrave gave you at the end of the first episode in which it gave you something that was shocking um, when the girl that Jessica uh, rescued winds up killing her parents in an elevator. Nothing is shocking like that. But again, Wizard was an interesting character, but he died. Alright, so let's move on to the second episode called A.K.A. Freak Accident. The other thing that I forgot to mention in the first episode as uh, Trish was leaving uh, Jessica's, I forgot where she was, I think for her apartment or whatever, that someone was looking at Trish from a distance as she was getting into her car. So we do see in the second episode who that person is and basically from the first season we get Simpson so he does come back kind of briefly (laughs) in which he is he's there to protect Trish because he claims there's uh, a monster that is out there that is much stronger powered than even Jessica will even encounter so unfortunately by the end of the episode there is something that does happen to Simpson and boom his neck was twisted his back was up and so was his face and that was kind of brutal that he went out that way but the other thing too uh, we get uh, the return of Jerry Hargoth who is now been diagnosed with ALS so things have taken things for the worse for her and also in this episode uh, Jessica gets a new super in her apartment so that's basically a landlord or superintendent for uh, an apartment complex 
But what was kind of cool is that, you know, he claims he's the new super, but when she was trying to leave, there was a refrigerator in the way, and he couldn't move it, so she did it herself, and that kind of set up a, a bit of things at odds, because he never really cared uh, for supers. So, it's an interesting kind of turn of events, uh, considering it, it didn't seem to be an issue, but it does play later on in the next couple of issues. Um, so, from that point on, the other thing that also stands out in this episode is that Trish went to a guy named Max Tatum, who I guess, back when she was a teen, there was some type of situation in which with Malcolm's help, recorded their conversation as to what had taken place. And I guess she was going to use that to blackmail him in order to get more information about IGH. Again, that's the facility that Jessica was taken to. So, uh, again, so when we jump back to the end of this episode, the monster kind of leaps over Jessica and Trish and is out the door before they even knew it. And... Alright, so that was definitely an interesting way to go. But, again, it's kind of a slow burn. Not much is happening other than Jessica and Trish are having lots of interesting conversations. Jessica is going down the tubes again with the heavy drinking and the uh, bathroom sex that she had early on in the very beginning. So, And even then... You know, I I understand that kind of pain just to kind of have some kind of something, some kind of reaction, some kind of feeling to get out of what you're doing. And, you know, the drinking is not helping and her going down this casual sex path is not helping either. So it just, it's not going anywhere. She's not getting any kind of pleasure out of life. All right, moving on to AKA number three, Soul Survivor. This one, we're looking at Jessica going forward to her investigation with IGH, but Horgoth is looking to get back at her partners who are trying to kick her out of the, the law firm who are using her illness as a means of getting her out of there. So Foggy comes in, and the only time we get to see him was quite brief. She turns down his offer and to help Horgoth because of our situation. So, just like Des- just like Jessica, who distanced herself from people, she Horgoth is doing the exact same way. But yeah, she gets on Jessica about doing the exact same thing. So it's an interesting dynamic how those two characters, which are different social status, are more identical in every way. There was a meeting set up for Trish to meet a Dr. Henson who had worked for the IGH facility and they were going to be at a bar. Jessica uh, decided to be that person to meet Dr. Henson and not her. So it turns out to be that that person was not Dr. Henson since Trish got a call from the actual Dr. Henson. And basically... There was some action, finally, in which that person, who claims to be Dr. Henson, revealed herself to be a super. Like, a big super. So she was able to knock Jessica in literally almost to the next room. 
and doesn't really have much in the way of of a defense against that. So that imposter, Dr. Henson, is up and jumps to the top of the roof, and she's pretty much gone for the day. Again, there's not much that's going on here. Uh, the incident uh, earlier with Jessica and Oscar, who is the super, is that uh, Jessica is being evicted since the building is a residential area. She's conducting business out of her residence, which is illegal, so she's being forced out to do that. All right, moving on to number four, a.k.a. God Help the Hobo. So in this episode, the investigation still continues. Oscar and his ex-wife were arguing in the apartment above, and his son Vito came to visit Jessica, who is enamored with her because she is, is a power, and he loves Captain America, so he, he likes her a lot. So she came to, he came to her apartment, and next thing you know, you know, the parents come down looking for him. The idiot kid winds up in the windowsill and slips, and she goes out to rescue him. Of course, the parents are blaming her, like, what the hell are you doing to my son and all that, and later on, Vito does confess that, off camera of course, that it was his fault, but she rescued him. So that helps later on um, Oscar to kind of tear up the eviction for Jessica Jones because of what she did. What I forgot to mention was that there was a character named uh, Price, uh, Price Chang, who is a fellow private investigator who basically is looking to hire Jessica and not so much, you know, have him as a, have her as a partner, but have her be out of the way of in the way of competition. So she was never interested and basically blew him off. So by the time the fourth episode came in, Price had hired someone to kind of ransack the apartment and basically find any dirt. So basically, all information about the IGH went with this guy who had a van waiting for him down there. And then as he's trying to enter, all of a sudden, someone jumps down from high above, which not Jessica, but is turns out to be this fake Dr. Henson, and literally tears him apart. So when Jessica arrives back to her apartment, it turns out that she's being held for murder of that victim since they assume that's who did this. So after that, we go to number five, which is the AKA the octopus. This is the first time that we're actually going to get at least some kind of reference for Kilgrave. So up to now, again, a lot of slowness to each episode but nothing about Kilgrave the only reference is by this uh, detective Costa who is interviewing her for the investigation and basically wind up cooperating with Hargath being the lawyer and she gets released but the detective really wanted to say you know thank you for helping get rid of that scum Kilgrave because of what he had did 
from season one. If you remember season one, there was a precinct that she was at in which Kilgrave controlled all the officers to have their guns basically at themselves, ready to kind of take care of themselves and blow themselves out. So he felt very powerless. He remembered that incident and wanted to thank Jessica for that. So at least she has kind of a bit of an ally on that. Now, the other thing is that from that point on, Jessica uh, needed to go into some kind of psychiatric ward um, for, I guess, a janitor who had used to work for IGH. So Oscar was some kind of forger and was able to get some IDs for Jessica to get in. And while she was interrogating this guy, he was talking about Octopus and how he had this kind of, uh, I guess, uh, relationship with a doctor named Dr. Carl. And they used to meet basically at the aquarium. So Jessica used that as a way of finding if Dr. Carl was going to be there. And lo and behold, not only was he there, but the woman that Jessica fought from earlier is also there. So when the doctor realized Jessica was there, Dr. Henson, or that woman, punched the glass in the aquarium to kind of start basically an accident, or at least empty out the tanks of water, which we don't see it all happening. We hear people screaming and running, but there's no actual destruction. So that's taken off camera. But we do see Jessica giving chase, but the two of them hop into a car and off they go. Um, The other thing I found out, because I thought, well, because I remember my days in New York, Brooklyn used to have the Coney Island Aquarium. So I thought it was there, but it turns out they actually filmed this in the Long Island Aquarium and Exhibition Center. So, you know, I was going to say it correctly. I would say they filmed it at Long Island. <laughs> and uh, that was interesting. I actually thought that's kind of cool. The other thing about the episode is that uh, Trish had been with a guy who seems to be a, a good catch for her. Um actually proposed to her and basically turned him down not at the party but later on but prior to that as she's helping Jessica with the investigation it seems as if he was gathering data himself and talking to someone a couple of times about what's going on with I guess the investigation and Trish so it's starting to pick up again a little bit more but the only problem is that nothing's happening other than this long investigation of IGH. So by the time I got to this morning, which again, I could not sleep because of my allergies or my nose, not being able to breathe correctly, started to watch AKA FaceTime, which is number six. So the big reveal for this episode, so I'm about halfway through this series. The big reveal is that this woman who pretended to be Dr. Henson is in fact Jessica's mother. 
that's the best thing that I can mention from this episode is that that's interesting considering that the mother, the father, and her younger brother were all killed. The other thing is that Trish has been taking the exact same uh, medication or that spray that um, Simpson took in order to make himself powered, albeit a small brief time, but it's become uh, pronounced as she's kind of having withdrawal symptoms from it. So luckily, Malcolm was able to find the medicine without knowing what that was, and then the two of them headed off, but it treasures more under the influence, basically, of the medicine that made her feel a lot more happier than she was before. But basically, it's an adrenaline rush. I'm okay up to this point. I'm still going to watch the rest of the series. I'm hoping, hoping against all hope, that I'm not going to be disappointed because, again, we still have Kilgrave somewhere in the middle. Alright, so that's going to be the review for the first six episodes. So, I kind of pushed through because it was already a very long podcast to begin with. And, again, Daylight Savings Time sucks. <laughs> we'll see how this all turns out. Because, again, I'm not really invested into Jessica Jones. I think she's a compelling character. And unlike any other Marvel character that we have seen to date that has this type of dysfunctional lifestyle. So I'm, I'm still going through and wanting to see how this turns out. Yeah, she's going to go further down the rabbit hole into despair, or will she be able to find a way out of her situation? So we'll see how this all turns out. All right, so that's going to be the end of the podcast. When I do finish the rest of Jessica Jones, I'll come back, hopefully not be as lengthy as I was before, but just give you my thoughts about the series and see if I liked it or disliked it, and we'll go from there. So, please, email me at monstersci-fi-show at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts, give me some comments, any suggestions, please, I'm open to them. You can always follow me on the various social networks. So, again, thank you for listening to me and to the Monster Sci-Fi Show podcast. It's sci-fi from a certain point of view. Good night. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.